Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hello, I'm Michael Chakraverty. And I'm Mark Watson. And this is the Menkind Podcast. We're going to take a deep dive into masculinity, exploring what being a man actually means, along with a variety of brilliant guests. You know, men talking about men is a notoriously underrepresented area of podcasting. Not anymore. Morning, Michael here. Mark there again. Hello, Mark. How are you? Thanks for asking. As ever, Michael, I'm pleased to say I'm in uh, fairly good health and spirits. Yeah, that's good. You don't often ask how I am. I'm doing well as well. Thank you very much. Um, no, it's, just, it's all wrong way, actually, the care in this place, isn't it? You know I care. It's a silent caring. Um, yeah, yeah. I'm more the sort of standoff father figure. <laughs> father figure, that's quite something that you've just put on yourself there. I'm just saying I'm very proud of you, my boy. Now, um... <laughs> this week we have the wonderful Ollie Ollerton. You're in Shrewsbury. Is it nice? It's a beautiful day today. Absolutely stunning. It was beautiful this morning, like frosty, clear skies. Yeah, it's beautiful. I'm out on the water after this. So, um, oh, are you? Yeah. What does that mean? Walking on or? No, I'm on top of it. <laughs> That's a good start. Yeah. <laughs> yes. The first time I've spoken to a soldier, I think. A real life soldier in my life. I'm just trying to think if it's the first time I've spoken to a soldier. I haven't certainly haven't got a list of them. <laughs> no, it's not quite for me, but it's up there. It's Neither of us is a person that regularly encounters soldiers. Let's be honest about that. And not soldiers who've been attacked by apes. Little teaser for you there. Enjoy. Uh, yeah, we're fortunate to be joined this week by the impressive figure of Ollie Ollerton. Ollie, well, a lot of people will have come across you, but can you just somehow try and uh, summarise the vast amount of stuff that you've done in your career, or at least what you do now? Yeah, which is really important because everyone knows me from SAS Who Does Wins on Channel 4. I'm a former UK Special Forces soldier, but I don't hang my coat on that accreditation or this word of celebrity, which I'm still not used to. I'm an entrepreneur. I've got a few businesses. I am very much focused on self-development, inspiring other people. So that is the main focus of, of my business interests. Yeah, you've got a company which is all about that, basically, about enabling people to break free of the sort of psychological shackles that keep us from our goals. Is that fair? I like that. I might, that'll be on the wall next week. <laughs> I've accidentally got myself a job as copywriter for Ollie there. <laughs> yes. So there you go. Ollie is basically ex-military reluctant celebrity and now professionally inspires people to achieve stuff and me and michael are just sitting here having just had a muffin <laughs> a lovely muffin <laughs> apparently it was really nice i didn't even get it <laughs> the first question we always ask everybody ollie is kind of taking you back to when you were younger i suppose and the idea of masculinity when did you kind of first encounter the concept of masculinity and what did that look like 
God, that's a bloody deep question, isn't it? Thank you. I wrote it, it is, myself. It's one we ask everyone, but I think you're the first guest we've had who, in their memoirs, describes getting in trouble as a kid for running around with a sawn-off shotgun. That might be a good start. That's the point. first, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I yeah, I was on sort of turbo to masculinity, and um, I had a very sort of hands-on, alpha male-driven upbringing anyway. You know, it's all, it was all motorbikes and go-karts and all kinds of getting into trouble and... And unfortunately, that went a bit too far when I did get a sawn-off shotgun and went on a bit of a Rambo rampage. So I, th- I tell you what, I think it was around about that. That does sound like going a bit too far, I think. Normally, anything with yeah. the phrase rampage in it is bad. <laughs> <laughs> no one got hurt, by the way. No one got hurt. <laughs> but yeah, I think, you know what it was? I think it was around that time that Rambo came out. And I'm pretty sure that was around about 1983. And I know it sounds a bit funny, but, you know, Rambo, the film came out. And it was like, that was my, almost like my call to, to manhood. Which is something we ask people about. We often ask guests what, yeah, what it was that, well, exactly, what was their call? What was their sort of signifier of manhood? And a lot yeah. of people do go for, you know, all action figures, not surprisingly. Yeah, and what kind of, what qualities in that film did you kind of aspire to or see as something that you'd like to be more of or be more like? I don't know. It was, it was just like an absolute legend. Money. You know, I think, I think <laughs> a lot of that stuff, you know, it really inspired me to join the military. Because he was an ex-veteran, he was unstoppable, you know, he, he didn't conform, which is something that <laughs> I've adopted all the way through my career up until today. Mm. You're not suddenly changed your mind about that? No, no, definitely not. <laughs> this podcast isn't you suddenly being a conformist? No, no, well, we'll see afterwards, I'll let you know. <laughs> yeah, maybe we'll change you. Yeah, yeah. But um, yeah, it was, it was that sort of, I saw him as the perfect sort of alpha male. And it was like, after that, you know, I wanted to live, breathe and, and be Rambo. I think I actually did... I'm going to say something that was going to embarrass me then, but I think I actually told people at school to start calling me Rambo. (laughs) (laughs) Me and Michael did that as well, but we just didn't get much traction with it. (laughs) Do you think now, I mean, obviously you, Olive, ended up enacting quite a lot of those Rambo-type ideals, like you were in the military, you have done quite a lot of SAS-type stuff. Do you think now that those sort of icons are good for, for boys growing up in particular? Like, is it a good thing to see that as aspirational, do you think? Yes and no. You know, at the end of the day, I think, look, the perception is far different than reality. If everything is around about you focused on chasing an image, it will never live up to expectation when you right. actually get to where you want to be because you won't actually get to wherever you want to be. It has to be really something that is is more focused around the feeling. And that's just the way we're actually wired. We are image driven as a species. Um, I think that's where a lot of us fall down because we push the feelings to one side. And we end up driving towards an image because it looks cool. And that there's a lot to do with ego in that. Yeah. We're so focused on trying to be someone that looks good for everyone else. And then the real us, the real person we are, we become a byproduct of that person we're trying to be as opposed to, you know, really feeling the person we should be. Mm. That's the sort of insight that a lot of, you know, more traditionally masculine men don't have, you know, maybe ever. So when did you start to break out of these sort of traps, you think? When did you have a moment of revelation like that or was it a series of moments or there was a big turning point in my life 2011 where I actually because I spent my life not understanding what my purpose was what my calling was I was mm. massively confused after joining the military thinking it would be the be all and end all mm. you know I had this perfect vision again which was based on image that was focused on this lifestyle I thought it would fit and tick every box you know I'm quite happy saying this and I, I think I don't see many people that actually say it uh, out there but I didn't find what I was looking for in the in the special forces I didn't hmm. that world that masculine world you know that I'd 
focused on so much. It didn't tick all the boxes for me whatsoever. I feel that I was just really trying too hard to be a man as opposed to actually just getting on with it. And that comes back to that image, isn't it, that you kind of have in your head from being younger about what you're looking for. You've spoken quite a lot about being in the military. I think it's a fascinating area that I have no insight or... Yeah, me and Michael are very different sort of versions of men. But one area where we meet is neither of us would have been within a million miles of the military. So we're fascinated by all yeah. this. Yeah, and I'm particularly fascinated by... You've been talking about the kind of the difference between physical strength and emotional strength within the military. And I think when you were doing selection, if I get these numbers wrong, I'm sorry, but there was something like 350 people started and then five at the, the end of the selection process and you were tougher one of the than Bake Off tougher than Bake Off I have to say yeah <laughs> <laughs> you said that there were fitter people than you but they didn't make it through and I wondered whether you could talk about why that might be or or, or yeah that experience I'll tell you what because this is really interesting fitting into everything I've just been saying because this was perception again it was perception you know I turned up as one of the youngest lads on the selection process and I turned up on that day at the Brecon Beacons and the, you know you're straight into it Mm. And as soon as I got off the bus, I wanted to do a U-turn. I thought I got off the wrong stop because I was like looking around me and all these people look like, they look like my image of a special forces soldier even before they'd started doing the process. Yeah. And I looked at myself and I thought, I felt like an absolute boy. Honestly, I was scrawny anyway. And I felt like a little kid. So although my perception of them was that they were fitter than me. yeah, And actually they, they weren't. They weren't fitter than me. They, you know, because again... You know, we, we're so intimidated by image and um, it really doesn't have that much to do with it. You know what I mean? And, and then very quickly when we're climbing the first mountain, you know, within the first 1K going up the mountain, those actual people that I was, I was intimidated by, I was past them and they were like, I can't go on. And I was like, holy shit. You know, mm. and that to me gave me so much confidence. That's obviously a pretty specific situation, like trying out for special forces. But this is something we see again and again, isn't it? People that look like they know what they're doing can easily overwhelm you, so just psychologically, before you've even seen them try and do the thing they're meant to be good at. Yeah, this all comes down to ego. And, you know, I'll go back to your question before because I didn't answer it. And that was the fact that was there a turning point? The turning point for me was really 2011-ish. And I crashed and burned on a grand scale. I went below zero and at that point it was like starting to rebuild myself and although I wasn't you know it wasn't a turning point where I, every day after that was a perfect reflection of what I wanted to be it was like it was a slow sort of climb out of where I was and starting to shed away this having to live up to expectations and trying to be this alpha male and that's what I feel like you know a lot of men are doing they're trying to live up to this reputation and all those, you know, it's, it, was, it was an interesting thing for me. I talk about Rambo and stuff like that. When you've got films like that, they don't actually really help. You know, it's the same with everything. It's like social media, the whole lot. Everyone is looking at this image of everyone else with perfect lives when it's, it's pretty much a lie, really, isn't it? Yeah. And, you know, you're watching films where these alpha males doing some very uh, unrealistic fates of masculinity and then people think that they've got to yeah jumping out of helicopters there's an awful lot of that in films much more than there is in most men's life oh exactly i mean it's a good thing but it's it's also a bad thing if you then get hooked onto the fact of that's what it must be to be an alpha male you must have to be that type of person when you don't you know i'll tell you the turning point for me is, is when i actually went to costa rica in 2019 I went to a retreat and we took plant medicine, ayahuasca. So very recently this is. Yeah, no, and this was a turning point for me. And I, you go into this dream state and it's a real, it's an amazing, amazing journey. A lot happened for me on that journey. And I came away thinking, 
I'm not living for anyone else now apart from myself. But what I mean by that is I don't do anything because it's, I'm doing it to impress anyone. I do what I do because it means something to me. And if people don't like it, that's their fault. You know, I think there's a lot of strength in people start to focus on them being the most important project and not, not doing stuff for other people and how it looks. Mm. So leading up to that point, did you feel like you were doing things for other people? And what, what did that kind of look like? I think we all are. We absolutely all are. We're all doing so much stuff to... For me, it was like joining the Special Forces. I was doing that because it looked great. Mm. I was looking from the outside in at me and how good it would make me look. And then when I actually got there and was in like confused that it wasn't really doing it for me, it wasn't ticking all the boxes. I simply haven't found my purpose. I mean, it's easy now looking back, you know, reflection is great, but you know, hindsight never won any wars, but it's quite interesting this because a number of people we've had on the podcast have said that being a soldier was one of the big things that they wanted when they were a boy and you've lived that. Do you think it's quite common that people find the military doesn't tick the boxes that they thought it was? Did you meet other people who didn't get out of it what they thought they would? Yeah, no, I, I meet mean, a lot of people that do, uh, loads of people that, that feel the same way, but I don't, I meet minimal amount of people that actually are vocal about it. Yeah. Because mm. again, they're still falling into that trap of, oh, I don't want people to think, you know, I want people to think that the image was, it's all about, you know, that for me is just all about ego. People are so invested in making sure that they don't look weak. They don't look the um, opposite of what they strive to be. And you talk about this in your book. Yeah. It takes strength to walk away from, say, a bad relationship or a job that isn't fulfilling you or whatever it might be, because it does involve saying to the world, those decisions I made haven't worked out. And we'd rather press on with something that's going badly than make that admission a lot of the time. We find it really hard to take that short term discomfort. I relate it to toothache. People are happy to go with that numb pain for a long, long time when they know just a short extraction, a little bit of pain over a short period of time will just resolve that. Yeah, you know, but they're quite happy to walk around in that sort of numb state. That really relates into the fact that us as humans, again, and this all comes down to our survival instinct, we are absolutely addicted to repetition, whether that's good or bad. And that's why, you know, everything I teach, everything I talk about is all about really making sure that your these habit loops that we're stuck in are positive habit loops, because if they're not, we end up in the negative habit loop, which is strangely called a comfort zone, which really does not offer us any growth or strength whatsoever. Yeah, comfort zone is almost a misnomer, isn't it? It just means yeah. the familiar and comfort aren't necessarily the same thing. Um, on the subject of how your brain's wiring works, I've got quite a specific question here. Mm. You, you mentioned ayahuasca, is it? The, the medicine which you took in yeah. Costa Rica. Now, I've heard people talk about this before, and this is a good example of comfort zones, actually, because I don't think I would ever have the courage to experiment with something like that, which I don't really really know what it's going to do to my brain but every time I hear people talk about stuff like ayahuasca retreats it does I mean I don't know if you can fully describe the process would you say your brain was literally was a different thing after and, and how how does it work what happens to you well for me I mean there was a lot of stuff that happened I did about four or five ceremonies over a nine-day period and I was there with a load of veterans from all over the world that had some quite hideous stories but you know, for me, it was really helping to unravel that trauma. All the bad stuff that happens in our life, especially childhood trauma, our system, our, our survival blueprint has a mechanism where it immediately locks away that intimate trauma, mm. you know, to get you through that moment. It locks it away. And the trouble is, if you don't deal with that trauma, which for me, you know, I had quite a horrendous 
incident when I was a kid. Is this the chimp attack? I think we need to mention the chimp attack. Chimp attack, yeah, when I was 10. Yeah. Incredible moment in your biography where, a, um, well, yeah, a chimp went after you at a circus. Yeah, well, I mean, I, I put myself in, in the danger area. You know, it wasn't the chimp's fault, you know, which is another thing I actually learned on this ayahuasca thing. You know, I'd always gone on about being the victim. And, you know, my story was all about poor old me, poor old me. And, and, and that was a real reflection for me because when I actually went and did the ayahuasca medicine, it actually really it put me into the perspective of being the chimp and the fact that I'd walked into the chimp's arena that day. And so is it a bit like being hypnotized? Something like you, you, you're talking this stuff through under the influence of the ayahuasca, or you're actually there. Yeah, no, you're actually like you go on a journey in in your mind. You're mentally retreating and reenacting it. Wow, yeah, it sounds bizarre. It sounds really bizarre. But well, yeah, this is why I'm so interested. I've never heard anyone describe it in any detail. They just yeah. they just say, "Oh, you should try ayahuasca," and I always go, "Yeah, yeah that sounds cool." And I'm I'm too scared to ask them what it is. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll tell you what, mate, I tell you, it was absolutely crazy because, I mean, it was, I didn't realize I was going to go. The thing is, plant medicine, right? You can go there and say, I want to resolve this. I want to do that. Mm. It doesn't listen to you. Mm. The plant medicine works where it's needed, not where you want it to go. Yeah, it'll flush stuff out you weren't anticipating. Yeah, so I didn't expect it to flip and go, you know, go back to the chimp and all that. But all of a sudden, I ended up going back. I saw myself there. I was there as the 10-year-old boy just about, and I saw the chimp. I heard the roar. And then all of a sudden, before I was just about to get attacked, I then went into the chimp and I became the chimp. I know that sounds, for those listening in, must be thinking, oh my God, this is just nuts. Ollie's, Ollie's the lunatic. But <laughs> that then helped me understand that situation. It really gave me so much compassion for what the chimp was going through. And the fact that I'd walked into that arena that day, I was the one that was threatening that chimp's baby. You know, so mm. it really helped me take me out of being the victim and it helped me sort of have a lot of compassion f- for the chimp. And you said as well that you'd been, that it kind of made you realise that you were, you'd kind of always been putting yourself into a danger area. You'd always, always been kind of putting yourself into those situations. Could you talk a bit more about that? Because I'm assuming that wasn't just in that situation. Yeah, that for me. And that's why I talk about that because I don't have, I have very vague memories pre-10 years old. It was almost like I was born at 10. Because of this trauma, because of blocking out the trauma. Yeah, because of the trauma, I don't, I don't see beyond that. I can't re- remember beyond 10 years old. You know, it's mm. almost like, because the, the trauma was so bad. But after that, I was almost addicted to pushing myself to find that that sort of. De- I was chasing death after that point for so you know whether that was like a prolonged sort of path of self destruction through alcohol, drugs, whatever it was, you know, putting myself in war zones and you know going to war zones, thinking that was the solution for me and and all this stuff, and then and then putting myself into dangerous situations when I was in the war zone. It was like I was pushing the bar so much it was ridiculous, and and I honestly don't know how I I made it through but thank god I did. Do you think you were kind of conscious of I mean you've spoken quite openly about dealing with mental health issues and about things like drugs and alcohol and things like that were you conscious that those were kind of numbing the pain at the time or was it just kind of a sense of buying into a culture that that you saw around you? For me I had like I couldn't handle being in my own skin Mm, and for me the answer to that you know I had so much chatter going on up here I had so much confusion about who I was, what my purpose was. And I didn't actually look back at that time and go, I don't know what my purpose is. It wasn't, yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it wasn't about that. I just, I now look back and understand that I, I didn't understand where I fit into life. Yeah. It, it's almost like if you could ask yourself, what is my purpose? Then you're halfway to solving the problem. It, it's that we yeah, don't ask ourselves yeah. the question often. But we don't ask that question and we don't, you know, we, we, 
you know, we're born into this world. You know, we're given these sort of labels. We're given these labels. These are your options. You know, you go to university, you do whatever, you know, and you've got all these different options you can choose. And for me, I didn't fit in. I didn't, I didn't fit into any of these pre-described boxes. I was walking around thinking, I was never happy, never happy, never settled, never content. And that for me, just, you know, it was just easier for me to reach for a drink and that would cut out. That would, I would have been in a constant state of numbness. Yeah. And that for me was a lot better than just sitting in my own skin with all that confusion. Now, looking back, it was just the fact I needed to understand what my purpose was. But I actually tripped over that around about 2011 when I went over to Southeast Asia when I was rescuing the kids from child prostitution and slavery. You know, that was the turning point for me. It's been quite a life story where you don't even mention rescuing people from child slavery till half an hour in and even the chimp attack just <laughs> as a footnote. But I, I really recognise the feeling you're talking about of not being comfortable in your own skin. I've felt like that a lot in my life, even when I am doing stuff that I feel like I'm good at. Or, And I think a lot of people listening will also recognise it. For people who, this might sound like an invitation to advertise your company, but for people who don't have the immediate option of like you know going to a retreat in Costa Rica or doing some huge thing to shock themselves out of it, what are small steps that you'd recommend to people to find that purpose or to to get out of your own skin or to get out of that feeling of being trapped in your own skin? Basically, how do you advise people to, especially men, I suppose, to do it better? Well, the, the thing that you have got to do is you have got to be stepping over that line of limitation. And this isn't just like everyone come to breakpoint because we'll show you how to do it. But this can be in anything because the more you don't step out of that line of limitation, the more the wall on the inside builds and it gets thicker on the inside. Before you know it, you're absolutely, you know, you can't even move. Basically, people need to really overstep that mark. When you don't step over that line of limitation, you live constantly in that comfort zone. Your ego always designs the best outcomes for you to make you look good in any situation, nine times out of ten. Mm. Anyone that's seen the TV show, SAS Who Dares Wins, it's exactly the same as what they do in the military. And every time you step outside of your comfort zone into some unfamiliar circumstance, something you've never done before, your ego is nowhere to be seen. It's like on a horse out of there, it's gone. It's like, fuck this. And that's what you need. You need to dispense with your ego. And that's what you need because, yeah, that's it. Because only at that point do you then get to start your actions, reactions, your thought processes, everything become organic and raw. Mm. And that's why you see so many people breaking down on SAS, who there's wins. I'm using that as an example because everyone's seen that. People break down and all of a sudden you've seen that raw organic character and that person on TV has for the first time in so many years, they're feeling who they are for the first time in a long, long time. It's interesting, isn't it? People obviously yeah. go on a, on a show like SAS Who Does Wins expecting that they're going to be able to exhibit, you know, masculine qualities, that they're going to show who they are and what they're capable of. But you're, you're, it sounds like you're putting them through almost the opposite. You're, you're making them surprise themselves. Well, they come on that show and, and honestly, within the first couple of hours of being there, they then realized that all the plans that they had, all the visualization, all the thoughts of how they were going to, you know, tactically do this. Mm, all that male posturing, especially. Yeah. They realized within one hour that all those plans are absolutely worthless. Mm. Mm. And then all of a sudden they've got to reshape that and then realize, you know, each one comes on going, I'm going to smash it. I'm the alpha male. I'm going to beat everyone else. I'm going to be one standing at the end. And then they're like that. Oh, shit. I've actually got to work with everyone. Yeah, I saw a bit of this. On I did this Bear Grylls show where you go to an island and, you, you know, a bunch of, again, so-called celebrities. And um, there was a bloke called Ewan Thomas who was exactly oh, as you yeah. described. Oh, Lovely you. guy, you know, and like he's a great guy. But by his own admission, he went in as team captain going, well, I've got this guy. I've got, he used to say things like, we're going to beat the island. We're going to beat this. And um, 
yeah, within a few days, he had been smashed to pieces mentally. And by the end of it, he'd picked himself up and he was still is a different human, I think. But as you say, the ego had to be buried. And he'll say, I'm not criticising him. We, all of us had to no. abandon our ego. But he, he was the most traditional male in that environment. And as a result, just like you said, he had the most ego to probably get rid of. And that's because he, yeah. as men, we do think we have to be the captain, the leader in charge. Yeah, and a huge yeah. a, lot, a lot of what we've talked about today has been about the idea that a lot of men visualise themselves or see themselves in the image of a certain type of man or not. And the absence of that image can also be really impactful, I imagine. Um, I imagine, I know. Um, <laughs> but um, when you were growing up, but also perhaps now, were there men that you admired in the real world that weren't Rambo jumping out of, of helicopters? Um, yeah, well, along the way, are there men that you think have been good examples of how we should behave as men, putting our ego inside, all that stuff? They were. There were always people that, you know, I always seemed to hang out with the uh, an older crowd. I was always inspired by quite hard lads, really. You know, it's mm. always they were sort of my mentors growing up. I've never been one that's, and I still don't get phased by people on TV and sort of celebrities and all that kind of stuff because I just really understand that it's just a stage show. Yeah, People around me inspired me. You know, it's like um, people won't know them, but it was people. It was more people that were close to me that sort of inspired me. Oh, we're still interested regardless of whether people know them. Often people yeah. name guys that you wouldn't know. Yeah, yeah, it's more to do with, the kind of, I suppose, the qualities in them that you saw as admirable, I think, is interesting to know. Yeah, but the thing is, for me, I mean, I think back then I was so confused. You know, I was in, yeah. I was actually inspired by people that were hard that could get into a fight and you know beat someone up and all that, and it was just totally wrong. You know, it, it wasn't the right people that I wasn't. I wasn't following people that really. What about now? Yeah, what do you look for now in, as good qualities in a man? I look for someone that um, is emotionally connected. I look for someone that has emotional intelligence, someone that's not trying to be something for everyone else, someone mm. that's just, you know, and I think that that is where the problem lies. There's so many people out there, they're living, there's so much under pressure because they're scared that if they do something that doesn't reflect this image of a stereotypical alpha male, that then they will look weak. But they're not living for the person they are. You know, everyone's trying to, you know, I am, everyone's trying to be something instead of just being who they are. Yeah, a lot of your core advice to men in particular, but to, to people really, seems to be this, seems to come down to this thing. Identify what you want to live as and that alone and pursue that and zone yeah. out any reaction from other people. Is that fair? Yeah, because you do everything for you. You know, I, I, I talk a lot and I always state the most important project is you. And I know it's a cliche and I keep talking about it, but it's so it's such a, an effective cliche is there's a reason when you go on a plane that, the, you know, the emergency procedures, if the emergency mask comes down, put it on yourself before you help anyone. Before else. help. Yeah, it's true. That does always sound quite heartless, but there's, as you say, a good reason for it. But it's, you know, unless you've got a strong foundation, you can't, you know, there's a lot of fractured people out there that are trying to help other people. And not only are they diluting what they've got, to give mm. they're just not being that effective in helping other people anyway mm. everything i do at the moment you know I, I do a lot of corporate stuff a lot of corporate work and they say well look how can you help our organization grow and i'm like this take it right back to each individual every single individual people are your most important asset you know before you start loading people with leadership and teamwork and da 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 Let's look at their root foundation. Look, once you've got that solid and robust, you can then start adding things on top of that. Because a good leader is not so, you know, is, is essentially just a very good grounded person. Mm, rather than someone with special powers or special qualities. 
Yeah, no, I mean, bad leaders are people that they're trying to adopt a skill that they just haven't got, you know, mm. before you know it, that, you know, then they're thinking, oh, I'm a leader, I must be a dictator, that's what they do, you know, instead of just being themselves. But the point I'm saying is, regardless of whether it's for business or anything, everyone should really start to focus on them and that they should be the most important project where you're male, female, whatever it is, look at yourself, really start to invest in yourself. Happiness is not external, it's internal. And that was a massive turnaround point for me. Hmm. And once you start to, to reflect on yourself as opposed to thinking everything's out there, the return on investment is phenomenal. Let's be good. This People say, use this phrase, doing work on yourself. And we hear a lot of men won't do work on themselves. And I've, I've heard that hmm. constantly, but this is one of the most sort of detailed unpackings of that idea I've heard actually I can imagine now what it would mean to do that when you're ready to pop the question the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring at BlueNile.com you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online choose your diamond and setting when you found the one you'll get it delivered right to your door go to BlueNile.com and use promo code listen to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more that's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at Burrow.com ACAST. And up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. So we always ask at the end of these interviews, we always ask our guests three qualities that they would put into the the ideal man, yeah. but also perhaps the ideal human, I suppose. What three qualities do you think, if you if you were to create a man, if you were building a man from scratch, from the foundations, what three cornerstones would you put in as those foundations? Yeah, you've touched on this a bit, maybe, with the emotional intelligence. and. The... Yeah, I mean, I'm limited to three, but I mean, I would look at... Um... You can use hyphens if you like. <laughs> yeah, you can cheat the yeah. rules a bit. <laughs> well, really, I'd, I'd, I'd teach, you know, the integrity, loyalty, compassion, they mm, would be the yeah. cornerstone. And compassion is not one you've named when you started out on this no. journey, probably. Like, no. Interesting that you said integrity. That's not actually one we've heard before. Why did you choose that? What do you mean by that? Um, integrity is just someone that's very honest. Mm-hmm. I just think someone that's very sort of um, disciplined, steadfast in their position and makes sort of quality decisions. Yeah, integrity, yeah. loyalty, and compassion are three they're nice, three nice words. Good complementary things because they're quite different. Each one of those is a different area of, of human yeah. activity. Really. Yeah, honestly, it's been really interesting talking to you, Ali. I feel like we've learned quite a lot. We've covered a lot of ground here. Uh, yeah. Thank you for thank you for joining us. Do you have anything? Well, you do have something to plug. Would you like to plug your many books <laughs> or your course or anything really? Yeah, well, I want to get us back into the front face and sort of uh, arena of helping people. This is the Breakpoint Academy here. We I got this up and running just before lockdown, so I, I can't wait to get people back here and 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 doing some events with them all. 
we've got a big focus. We see there's going to be a massive requirement moving forward for people with mental health. Mm. I hate to call it mental health issues because it's not a case of mental health issues. I want to start people looking at prevention and not cure. You know, you shouldn't have to wait till you yeah. fall down before you realize you've got to pick yourself back up and get people to start to understand that mindfulness and mental wealth is an ongoing process and we should be continuous improvement models and not waiting for us to crash and burn. Absolutely. Mm. Which is what you did. You, you had to learn that the hard way, basically. Yeah, no, I did. I mean, I, I learned the hard way. You know, don't wait until your mobile phone's ran totally out of battery before you plug it back in and we're the same. That's yeah. good advice literally as well as metaphorically. Yeah, so <laughs> <That's> nothing <true. laughs> worse. <laughs> Charge your personality when you're at 30 percent is what you're saying not three percent yeah don't wait for that moment before you know and, and that's what i had to do I, I had to pick up the pieces and you know it made some interesting chapters in the book but um and that book is called uh, battle ready by the well, way well the first one's Breakpoint, and that was really laying the foundation of who i am what i've been through it's still inspiring yeah. and then that went on to battle ready which was really the process i put into play when i came back in 2014 locked myself into isolation because i needed to focus on me as a person to be able to build a company Okay, so the first, you know, I had this dream of starting this company, Breakpoint. Breakpoint was the focus. But, you know, I wasn't ready to start that journey until I'd really start to focus on me as the goal. Yeah. And that was building myself. You know, Breakpoint's about helping other people. I can't help people unless I'm from a, a strong plate, a strong foundation. So, mm. so that was battle ready. And then even with my latest book, Scar Tissue, you know, which is fiction, it really is still, you know, it addresses a lot of those, especially male sort of alpha male issues and problems that we face on a daily basis so there is a strong message i mean storytelling in itself is an amazing platform yeah definitely quite a bit of homework for our uh, listeners there. yes absolutely thank you so Chats much for joining us. this has been great thanks a lot ollie Olsen. yeah no i've really enjoyed it thank you thanks ollie cheers, cheers mate and that was Ollie, a wonderful, fascinating, thought-provoking, riveting conversation. Trying to use as many of those words as I can now because I keep being called out for getting it wrong. Yeah, you got a look in your eye there like you were just going to whip through them. There was nothing I could do. <laughs> now, we sort of pride ourselves on having quite unexpected uh conceptual gaps between one guest and another it's always very different each week and this again is another large jump i think to next week's guest next week's guest for starters assigned female at birth is a great friend of mine also a sort of uh, very popular podcaster in her own right more than us in fact so in a way which is surprising isn't it really considering we are at the, at the pinnacle of podcasting game it's very rare we have to accept that somebody else has any sort of following to, to compare with us but she's put <laughs> a lot of time in I suppose and uh, so we're basically looking to get on her coattails a bit with next week's episode are you going to say who it is Mark or? a lot of people will have guessed by it now from context it's Sophie Hagen and yes. also an influencer, an influencer on social media. Oh yeah, hashtag influencer, yes. <laughs> You've been influencing, influencing, what was it you influencing last week? Uh, she's talked a lot about her bathroom recently. I, I, it wasn't, that wasn't the influence. I think it was, was it like dating app? Was it a dating app that you were influencing? I mean, in a way, in a way, everything I do is influencing. Yeah, you're, are you influencing us right now? A bit like Jesus. I think I am. Like, do you not feel like bettering yourself? I have already asked you about your glasses. So I'm going to go and, uh, <laughs> I'm going to go and seek out a natural deodorant. <laughs> I have been wanting well, you to do that. Well, do I while. have do I have a promo code for you? <laughs> I'll swipe up immediately. Just as soon as I've worked out how to do things like that. Um, I wanted to say a quick thank you to everybody who reached out over the past couple of weeks. You may not know, but my uh, granddad passed away recently, which was really sad. Um, he was a very uh, a very brilliant man, and it's been a bit rough over the past couple of weeks. But it's been really lovely to have all the gorgeous messages that have come through to say with well wishes and things um, I'm not very good at talking about this sort of thing but um, yeah it's been really 
heartwarming and it's lovely to think that there's a kind of community of people out there listening to the podcast and um it's truly meant the world so thank you so much for reaching out and um we're genuinely so proud that you like listening to us and like listening to our rambling and our endless professionalism so yeah thank you so much and if you would like to reach out to us you can follow us on all the socials at mankind podcast and we are on emails at mankindpodcast at gmail.com oh god i managed to turn that into a plug didn't i it was meant to be much more heartfelt than that you went from emotional appreciation into plug and that sort <laughs> of ruthlessness that will see us climb the podcast charts michael and i would echo that we are very proud of the community that listens to this please do keep looking after michael it can't always be me listening to him um, we have to ask you to like the podcast and give us you know well i was going to say high ratings but it's actually more than that michael is quite hard line about this well i i feel like actually when we talked about this outro you said five stars or fuck off mark was your exact that was wording. a suggested slogan but i think we in the end we tempered this a little bit <laughs> <laughs> I think that was the agreement. anyway please do do that for ego and for algorithm reasons <laughs> for egos and algorithms please give us five stars and nice words we like the nice words talking of nice words actually yes we've got some nice words we here. had a tweet in from lovely linda lawton that That's a nice bit of alliteration there, who said that she loved the podcast and she said that listening to the conversations felt like she was on the top deck of a bus overhearing us and it was glorious. Bit creepy, but really nice to hear. Uh, If you want to couch your compliments in ways other than it was a bit like stalking on public transport, that's also welcome. Thanks all the same. (laughs) Thanks to that sharp-eared person. Uh, we have this email as well from someone called Chris. It starts off by saying, hello, Mark and Michael, but then tries loads of different iterations like Markle and Merck and Mr. M and M&M and all this kind of thing. So yeah, real, it's the most someone's lent into the into this awkward question of whose name comes first. But still still didn't come up with Michael and Mark, which is disappointing. Not for me, though. Um, <laughs> Thanks for a great podcast. It says, Chris, I've learned a lot, laughed a lot. I'm a 41-year-old cishet guy from New Zealand. I'm on a journey with shaking the ingrained opinions I have from being raised in New Zealand in the Catholic Church and going to an all-boys high school. Your podcast has been a wonderful path to travel. You're both a joy to listen to and the way you control the podcast without dominating it is refreshing and allows the guest to really shine. I think that might be a very generous way of saying that we don't really know what we're doing. The more that the guest talks, the happier we are. But nonetheless, Chris has turned that into a, a, a positive for us. Thanks and I look forward to listening to many more episodes. Thanks a lot, Chris. Listening across the world as well in New Zealand, which is very nice for us. We love hearing from people in different countries, don't we? It really inflates our sense of how uh, influential we are. And as we say, egos and algorithms are the most important. (laughs) Sorry, what I can see currently is Mark and my producer playing with a Zoom filter where they're tossing a red berry to each other as they talk. (laughs) It it never seems to get old somehow. (laughs) The phrase, it's been a long lockdown, would apply, but you'd think that it's not even much of an excuse anymore. (laughs) Not at all. So while Mark plays with his red beret, we'll let you get back to your week. Have a lovely week, everybody. Yes, bye. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. 
Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.